0: Welcome to The Investor Download, the podcast about the themes driving markets and the economy now and in the future. I'm your host, David Brett. Bill Gates recently said at a conference that Teslas and turbines won't save the planet and only innovation will. Uh, so it's really lucky that we have today someone who's an expert in AI, digital innovation and data, Dr. Aisha Khanna. She's CEO and co-founder of Addo. Dr. Khanna, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me here. And you've come a long way as well. you just come over from L.A., right? I
1: just did yesterday. That's and right. you're in St. Louis. I am. Does that to do with work? It does. I have a number of clients there. We built intelligent data platforms and AI engines for them.
0: And just for a bit of background for some of our listeners who may not know who you are, how did you get into the AI side of things and all things data? Oh,
1: gosh, I have been doing data my whole career. After I did my master's, I joined... Um, number of banks on Wall Street working as a software engineer and specifically implementing quant models for algorithmic trading. So that's where kind of my love affair between technology and data really started. And since then, then we started working on AI algorithms. And when I moved to Singapore about a decade ago, I really noticed the huge opportunity in the region to start something that would actually address this gap of knowledge and skills that people had. So that's why I started my consulting firm. We did very well in Asia. Now we're expanding to America.
0: Brilliant stuff. Okay, so today we're gonna talk about harnessing innovation in the future and certainly the mega trends of the future. So can we start with um, how we might live? So living spaces, and I'm thinking, especially given what we've been through over the last two years with COVID, what does uh, the cities of the future look like and our living spaces look like?
1: Look, cities in the future have to be pandemic resilient now. And that's only possible if you add in a layer of technology to it that allows us to do everything that we need in our daily lives without having to venture out very far from the few city blocks within which we live. And this concept of the new smart city is called the 15-minute city which says that everything should be within 15 minutes walking distance. And everywhere from Saudi Arabia's new city to Singapore's new townships to China's new cities to France, everybody's talking about this concept. Now, the only way that's possible is that if every space becomes multifunctional and multidimensional, and that's only possible by putting a layer of digital on it. So whether you are trying to, instead of going to a hospital, you are using a handheld ultrasound, which is made by Butterfly Q, and attached to artificial intelligence in your iPhone. That is substituting for regular ultrasound checkups for everything from baby health, tumors, or the AI. If it notices a problem, will go and send a message to a doctor. This is the kind of innovation that allows us to be resilient to any lockdowns, whether that is because of pandemics or war or any other climate crisis.
0: So if everything's within a 15-minute space, what do people do for exercise?
1: Yes, wonderful question. Well, there are more and more at home gyms, one of them which I really like is Tonal. Tonal is essentially um, like an LED screen on your wall but it's attached to hydraulic arms that you can pull down and they're digitally controlled by an AI gym trainer. So your gym trainer is an artificial intelligence agent within your uh, gym on the wall and it can see you and check your form through computer vision. It knows and connects with your Apple Watch and knows your heart rate, and eventually it can also tell how much you're sweating. And all of this it uses to personalize a program and push you, because we all need to be pushed in the gym. And, and so it is pushing you to become healthier and stronger. And this combination of shrinking hardware, which has more computational power in it, combined with AI, uh, Sensors data is allowing spaces to become multifunctional.
0: Yeah, I think you actually need to be pushed to the gym <laughs> rather than being pushed in the gym. So this is like a this is this is more an advanced version of something like a Peloton.
1: Yes, absolutely. Okay. Which which I love Peloton because I have one, but this is a next level because it's not uh, it's an artificial intelligence that is essentially your trainer.
0: Okay, and also if these cities of the future are within a 15-minute space, a lot of the problems within lockdown was with mental health and people being stuck in the same place. So how are governments thinking about that side of things?
1: I think that's a really important question. Um, So many of us felt that we couldn't meet people. So one of the things in smart cities that we're trying to do is have spaces be more multifunctional so that people spend less time in uh, commuting, for example, under normal circumstances, and therefore have more quality time with their families and to spend on mental health and and gyms and physical workouts and with friends. And for that, um, that's why we would have car-free pedestrian areas and volocopter drone taxis between these hyper-local communities. So every community, you get everything you need within that space. Whether it's your child school or your co work space or your vertical farming produce um, grocer, all of this is within fifteen minutes away. You need so you save tons of time and stress because you're not commuting, and this is also very good for the environment as well. So that's one way these these multifunctional spaces are designed to free up your time. And another way that people are doing that is this whole concept of the metaverse or spaces which have more social presence. So when we have Zoom fatigue, it's because it's so unnatural to us and we don't get any of the nonverbal cues that we get from each other when we're sitting together that make us feel comfortable and relaxed. And so using immersive or virtual reality, this kind of new social presence technologies will use computer vision to really pick up on the nonverbal cues so when we're in these immersive environments we appear as we are when we shake each other's hands through haptic gloves we can sense uh, the touch and the firmness of our touch and that builds trust and authenticity and when we talk to each other the acoustics is set up in such a way that we can hear somebody from the left side or the right side or in front and i think this will help us feel a bit more relaxed and not so isolated from each other in case of a pandemic in the future.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, we've done most of our podcasts over the last two years virtually, uh, and you do feel yeah. the difference. There just isn't that personal connection. So the so within the metaverse, they are thinking of ways that we can actually do this as a, a more personal touch.
1: Absolutely, and that's why they, the term literally for it is social presence, because it's a presence, right? That you feel with each other yeah. and in comfort.
0: Um, just go back to cities for a second. What do these cities look like? Are we still going vertical or are they going to be flat?
1: They're going to be vertical, um, but they're not going to be sprawling. right? So cities have London, New York, Mumbai. They've just become bigger and bigger and they kind of, in you know, increase in tentacles and getting from one end of the city to the other end is hugely time-consuming and complicated. But now what's going to happen is we're going to have these... Little communities of cities. These hyper-local cities are four blocks wide, and then they're going to be connected by this hyper-fast, um, uh, sustainable transport. It could be trains, it could be by sea, or it could be by air with drone taxis, and they're all electric, so it's very sustainable. So that allows us to even have a city like a line, for example, which Niyam has in Saudi Arabia. So one can imagine it, and if it's built correctly, you can reach whoever you need to very, very fast, but for 90% of your needs, you're right there within your community. And this goes back to such an old concept where we had little villages where we knew everybody and we uh, you know, were happier and richer, and research shows that aging populations, people live longer when they have a sense of community.
0: So there won't be Elon Musk-style tubes underneath the ground?
1: (laughs) (laughs) They might be, you mean the Hyperloop? Yeah. Absolutely. I think the Hyperloop is especially good. Um, In tests, they've shown that human beings, we can't tolerate it because of the G-forces, or at least yet till some innovation happens. But for transporting goods and services, that's where people are thinking now, using Hyperloop kind of uh, transport tubes.
0: And what are the buildings made of? Is there some kind of futuristic material they can be made of?
1: And it could be futuristic, but a lot of people are now thinking of treated wood um, as a great alternative. Now we know that concrete which is used in so much construction all over the world, is the third largest emitter of greenhouse gases in the world after the US and China. Literally, would be the third largest country if we ranked it that way. So people are now looking at timber and treated timber. In fact, in Japan, they're going to build a 70-storey building, if it's approved, called W50. That's going to be made 70% out of wood, which is crazy. Yeah.
0: Japan's also susceptible to earthquakes, right? Yes, that's true. That is true. I hope they're tested.
1: I'm sure they will. They're very particular <laughs> and very meticulous. Um, but even in some of the new cities that we're seeing, like this one that is being built in China, the world's like, post-pandemic city, you see a lot of wood is being used everywhere. And it's treated, and and it's reused, um, and of course the other kinds of materials that are being tested, including right here in London at some of the leading universities.
0: So you said cement is the third biggest emitter, but obviously with wood, you've got to chop down a lot of trees, so that's... how is that going to offset? No,
1: so that's that brings us to the point of every single innovation we have, which does good in one way, we always have to look at its unintended consequences, whether it is AI and you are using an online AI gym trainer, where's all that data going? Or if you're using wood and treating it and that's more sustainable for the planet, but then you're also chopping down trees. So people are thinking of reusing wood, which is not being used and bringing down old houses or other reusing that, treating that, uh, trying to see which trees are, what stage of the tree, if if it's dying or already been cut down, reusing that, and replanting. But there have to be strategies for it. And I'm very concerned that sometimes we get so excited about tech or these kind of innovations that we don't keep an eye on the downside. But I think the European Commission is very good about bringing that out. They did that with GDPR, the data privacy rules and now they're doing it with AI, and we'll certainly see it with climate tech as well.
0: On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, you're listening to The Investor Download. And another thing that uh, certainly governments around the world are trying to figure out at the moment is feeding and fueling a yes. huge population in the future. And I, I think I read somewhere, it might have been from you, that f- uh, 10 billion people, and. Uh, all concentrated around cities yes. around the world and you use 80% of food and water. So how do governments plan to feed all these people and make it sustainable?
1: Well that's really the difficult dilemma, right? You have to feed them, so you have to make all our agricultural lands more productive. But then they're so far away usually from our cities, how we either, it's so unsustainable using transport just to bring them over. So now ideally we'd have more productive farms using technology in cities. And so we've all seen those vertical farms at the side of huge buildings, but really we need to kind of open our minds and imagine where else could a farm be? And I love the idea of using any space. There's this company in London called Growing Underground. And 33 meters below Clapham High Street, <laughs> right in London, is an underground farm. It was used as a bomb refugee tunnel in World War II. Wow. And now it grows amazing produce, which actually you can find, I believe, at Tesco's and Marks and Spencer's as well. The amazing thing about it is it uses 70% less water, no pesticides, is 100% sustainable, and it is 12 times more productive in terms of output than a normal farm. And that just blew my mind. And so you might say, how is that possible? Well, it is a controlled environment. And the way it's controlled is that everything from the light to the water to the nutrients that are fed to the plants is optimized all the time. And then you might wonder, well, who's optimizing it? Well, it's a digital twin. It's an AI program miles away in a lab in Cambridge University that keeps an eye through sensors and computer vision has all the data coming from Clapham High Street to Cambridge that tells them the humidity is more. What's the air like? What's the light like? How are the leaves looking? Are they drooping or are they up? And all of this information it goes into this digital replica of this underground farm and then they start changing things around in terms of the water and every other kind of input into the farm and they keep optimizing it so that it's 12 times more productive and more nutritious it, it's amazing.
0: That is incredible and I suspect if you told some of the people who go out in Clapham High Street on a Friday <laughs> Saturday night that that was going on underground yes. Uh, that would literally tip them over the edge, bearing in mind the state they're already in. But, uh, <laughs> so you're talking about digital twins. Yes. I mean, so that works for a farm. Does it work in other circumstances as well? It works
1: for everything. It works for factories. So a lot of the idea of the smart factory is to have a digital twin. It works for cities. So when you're trying to build new townships, even a new bridge, there's so many things you need to keep into mind. Before you lay a single brick, um, what's going to happen to... The uh, pedestrian walkways, what's going to happen, how much is it going to cost? Where, how should I do it so that sunlight is still coming into certain areas? What is it going to do for pollution? What is it going to do for, um, you know, other kinds of considerations when you're doing urban design planning? In fact, 500 cities in the world are thinking of building digital twins by 2030. Singapore has one. We spent seventy million dollars to make a digital twin of the entire city. Hmm. Uh, Helsinki has one. And Florida has one, and a number of cities in the U.S. are thinking of building ones as well. And eventually, in healthcare, we'll see people having digital twins, so that at any given time, one day I could look, open my laptop, or my doctor could, and have a sense of how my hormones are doing, how my cholesterol levels, everything should be right there, and they should be able to create a personalized healthcare plan for me. And then they can even do scenarios. If I gave Aisha this medication, what else could be affected by it? And that's the key, that's when we make mistakes, you know, when we just can't do scenario analysis, but now we can in silico.
0: And I guess that's quite handy for people in specialised areas of medicine as well, but perhaps people doing operations or something like that. Is it, has it already been used?
1: Yes, well, not in operations, but people are using some very um, basic version of it by using CT scans and MRIs to create a version so that they can practise surgeries on it. So for example, um, Dr. Omar Jalani's is a very well-known paediatric surgeon in London. And most recently, he was asked to separate conjoined twins um, in Brazil, these really beautiful, happy three-year-old boys. But it's such a rare surgery, you need 27 hours of surgery, 100 medical staff going in and out, and zero room for mistakes. These kids could be paralyzed. They could die if you cut the wrong vein. So how do you practice for such a surgery? So what he did was he took a lot of the CT scans and MRI scans and made a twin of their brains and using virtual reality, his team and the children's team in Brazil, the surgeons there, real time did all these scenarios of what an operation could look like. And then when they actually went in, when he actually flew in with his team to Sao Paulo, did the operation, they had done so much practice that it was extremely successful, exhausting, but successful, and the boys are happy and healthy four-year-olds running around, separated today. Um, you know, if you just look at healthcare, 7 million people have complications after surgeries. One million people die after surgery. That, that's so unnecessary if surgeons have anticipated Every single thing that could go wrong and have been trained on it so with digital twins and virtual reality we can save millions of lives and transform healthcare in the process
0: what strikes me about our conversation so far is although we're talking about mega trends of the future a lot of this stuff is already going on at the moment and that seems incredible probably away from all our eyes or most of our eyes anyway oh,
1: absolutely in fact I tend not to talk about things like a super futuristic although I study them but I think people need to know real cases that are happening right now. That's what resonates with them. That's what excites them. And that's what motivates people to upskill themselves and their children and their friends so that they're prepared for this new economy and this digital world we're going in.
0: Mm. One thing that people will be worried about and always are worried about with technology is their own personal employment. So yes. people worried about work. How are we going um, to uh, combat that?
1: So this is really important. Um, there's gonna be automation of jobs and tasks, which means people will have to learn new skills. They'll have to learn how to work with this new teammate called AI. And every team is gonna have AI in it. And for that, they have to feel comfortable. So employers have to bring them along for the journey because it's scary. They have to teach them how to use these tools. Governments have to have paid internships and apprenticeships that they subsidize, like the Singapore government does, so that companies we will take a chance on people who don't have skills and use them as apprenticeships, but not have to pay them. Um, And as parents, as uncles and aunts and grandparents, we have to take a responsibility, even if the education system is not there, to teach our children to live in a world in which digital technology is expanding to every part of our lives, and we need to use it to work, not just to be passively entertained.
0: Get in touch with us by email at podcasts at com, or visit our website com forward slash investor download uh, speaking of entertainment let's go back to the metaverse yeah uh, now it's a dirty word to some, a scary <laughs> word to others. But I mean, the metaverse has been around for what th- a third year. Second Life was the original yes. original gaming thing. Can you talk about a bit about the metaverse and how much it's going to impact our lives? We obviously had Facebook that changed its name,
1: yes,
0: uh, and they got a bit of grief over doing that. Yes. But how do you see the metaverse playing a role?
1: I think that the metaverse is very much going to happen. It it really points to the trend of our increasing lives. In the digital world, Second Life was booming for a little bit, millions of people were using it, and then the technology just wasn't there, so people lost interest. But it's not like they lost interest in immersive environments or virtual environments. In fact, the really shocking statistic is that there are 3.21 billion gamers in the world.
0: Oh, wow. That's half the population, pretty much. That's
1: literally almost half the population on Earth. And why the metaverse and gaming is a match made in heaven is because when you game, and half of these gamers are on mobile phones. So it's not only like Fortnite or World of Warcraft. They're also doing Candy Crush. But whatever game they're doing, they're playing in an alternate reality with other players. And they're playing with them. They're teaming up with them. They're talking to them. That is a virtual environment in which they're existing they are buying things that they like in it so there's a whole digital economy they're buying um, you know stars they're buying avatars they're buying skins bags guns you know they're buying all kinds of things for use and thirdly they're used to digital currencies and these currencies have value they go up and down every game has its own coins this means that literally half the world's population is ready for the metaverse in fact is in one form of the metaverse already. So as technologies get more immersive, as there's more augmented reality, uh, as virtual reality glasses become slimmer and eventually contact lenses, these, this half of the world will be totally fine. It's people like us who are not necessarily <laughs> gamers that we kind of find it impossible to imagine. But all you need to remember about the metaverse is that there are over three billion gamers and they think it's totally normal.
0: Okay, there's going to be a slight concern for a lot of people listening in, and that's about data. Yes. So there's going to be uh, seemingly a lot of companies. We've got maybe two or three at the moment that's, uh, I'm thinking of uh, Amazon and Facebook, that mainly control most of that data. But in the future, it seems to be there's going to be a lot more. Uh, So how do we make sure that data is safe, first of all?
1: Well, it has to be done through regulation and through leadership. So what we're seeing is that we have the climate apocalypse around upon us, we're gonna have the data and AI apocalypse, which is, if we're not careful, this data is gonna be insecure in the hands and sold to people who can then manipulate us using AI. Um, And we're seeing great examples, both in terms of regulation from the European Commission with, the data regulation, GDPR, which was then adopted and even made more strict by other countries. Even in America, when they feel the federal government is not acting fast enough, the states are acting. CCPA in California is very particular and has very similar rules as GDPR in the European Union. And now the European Commission has recommended AI rules, which says it's a risk-based framework. So you start with evaluating risk, kind of like you did in the financial services industry. And you say that if it really affects people's lives, such as facial recognition systems, then it's not allowed. If it affects people's lives in a way that is um, deemed meaningful, then you will be audited and you'll be fined up to 6% of your annual revenue. And I love this. I love this approach. Um, And then at the same time, we're seeing activism from citizens. In Toronto, when Alphabet, which is uh, Google's um, holding company, they had another subsidiary called Sidewalk Labs, and they wanted to build a smart city, and they had cameras everywhere in the uh, smart lights, in the walkways, and the citizens said, you can't take this data and send it all the way to California to some data server. It has to stay here. And eventually, the project shut down. In fact, this whole idea of treating data as a national asset is why this trend of data localization has started, where more and more countries are saying, you can't physically take our citizens' data out. So this wild, wild west um, from governments and from citizens is getting real pushback, thank God, and, um, and it's very important. So I would encourage everybody to make sure that companies you invest in are compliant and as citizens to stand up and really participate in local politics, at least as far as data is concerned, make sure that you are comfortable with what the government is regulating, because every country and every state has different regulations now.
0: Yeah, you make a very good point there. The companies you're investing, again, it comes down to the environmental, sustainability and governance side of things. Those that get it right. Should hopefully be the winners. those are Oh, absolutely!
1: We're already seeing millennials and younger are there's a there's literally like a backlash against companies that are not sustainable, and it's going to be the same thing. There'll be a backlash. Companies that don't take care of data are not responsible. Do not show that they are respectful of what is called data dignity of human beings. Um, they will have a backlash. They will suffer economic losses. So it's both uh, good morals and good for business.
0: Okay, and one final question, uh, because there is going to be a lot of data and there's got to be a lot of power to uh, drive all that data and save all that data. So we've touched on sustainability throughout the conversation. How does it work uh, with data, holding that data and obviously powering all these computers in the world that's going to drive
1: us forward? My gosh, that's such a good question. And people don't pay enough attention to it. We talk so much about AI and data, I certainly do as well, but 1% of global electricity is funneled into powering data centers. And that's, we're at the tip of the iceberg. If we have smart cities and we have connected systems and we have robots everywhere and AI everywhere, that's gonna explode billions of connected devices. So data centers are a good investment, but green data centers or green hyperscalers are really the talk of the town now. There are many ways to make data centers green. One is, of course, by uh, liquid coolants. You can immerse them in coolants. Um, In New Zealand, Microsoft literally put their data server underwater, but more people are just using coolants, which is just liquids that you can put in your servers to cool them down. Um, Lots of companies like Apple and Facebook are thinking of how to reuse energy wastage by powering and heating homes in colder countries. So almost 7,000 homes are heated by Facebook's data center in Undessa in um, Denmark. And then Google, because it's such an AI powerhouse, is literally using AI to cool down data centers heated up by the use of AI. And they're using it to uh, determine when to run fans and the optimal time to run their pumps so that It cools the place down. They're also using it to optimize the algorithm so that they are more computationally efficient. And they are now six times as efficient with the same amount of computing data as they were five years ago, Mm. which is enormous. So I think there's a lot of positive developments happening. Um, But the bigger headline here is for everything that you see, you have to keep an eye on Ethics and sustainable sustainability, and make sure that they are also upheld as principles.
0: And Dr. Aisha Khan, it's been a fascinating <laughs> conversation. Uh, you're <laughs> almost off to go and catch another plane back out I of am. here. Uh, I hope you survived the journey well. <laughs> it sounds like you've got an exhausting trip. So thank you very much for joining
1: us. Thank you so much.
0: Well, that was the show. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, check out our website, schroders.com forward slash the investor download. You can also get in contact with us about anything in the show or ideas for future shows at schroderspodcasts at schroders.com. Please remember to subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We're now doing one show a week, which will be available every Thursday from 5pm UK time. Thanks very much for listening. But above all, keep safe and go well. Cheers. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up. Investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation of any funds, services or products or to adopt any investment strategy.